Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to Eagle Brook Church. Good to see all of you here. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. We are grateful you are a part of our community. We are in the second week of a series called Left to Our Own Devices. And we're taking a look at the ways technology, and specifically our phones, have changed us in many ways for the better. In other ways, not so much. In the first message of this series, Jason Strand talked about how distracted we've become. And today, I want to talk about how these tiny devices have amplified our insecurities. Now, insecurity, so we're all on the same page, is defined as a feeling of uncertainty, anxiety, or lack of confidence in oneself. I got to tell you, I feel insecure all the time, like right now, with the spotlight, cameras, platform, podium, seven campuses, 20,000 people, another 10,000 people online. I'm feeling a little sick talking about it, thinking about it, so I'm just going to move on. But I feel insecure in everyday life as well. I'm insecure about whether I'm providing the right kind of spiritual and emotional foundation for my kids, whether I'm the kind of man that my wife Emily needs me to be. I'm not always confident in my job or whether I'm going to be able to provide financially for my family. I'm insecure in social settings to admit as a Minnesota man that I don't know how to hunt or fish and to admit right now that I listen to the greatest showman musical soundtrack while writing this message. I'm just, in general, I'm insecure about what people think of me. But really, truly, insecurity has been a deep issue for me, one I have to wrestle with almost on a daily basis. But my guess is I'm not the only one who struggles with feelings of insecurity. Maybe for you, you feel insecure about your looks, your career, what people think of you, what the future holds, or whether you have what it takes. So for just a moment, pause and ask yourself this question. Where do you feel most insecure? Because we've all got them. And follow that question up and ask, what do you do? Where do you go when you feel that insecurity? Because here's what happens to most of us. When we feel insecure, our fight or flight instincts cause us to either fight, find something that provides stability, or flight, avoid those things that cause insecurity in the first place. In other words, we tend to go to the place or the thing that will make us feel safe, certain or stable. We see this play out in our young children, don't we? When Maddox, our son, was first born, our neighbor at the time gave him this really nice, soft baby blanket with his name stitched into it. Six years later, this is what it looks like. <laughs> it is wet, nasty, and smells terrible, and we even wash it. That's because when Maddox feels scared at night, when he wakes up in the morning and feels uncertain about the day, when he's nervous or anxious, he wants his blankie so he can cover up with it and chew on it. It's literally become his security blanket. When I was talking to my wife, Emily, about the things we go to when we feel insecure, she told me something really I'd never known before. She said, when Maddox was a baby, anytime we entered into a large social gathering, a place that naturally makes me feel a little insecure, I would ask to hold Maddox. In her words, I suddenly became super dad around people. <laughs> Which now thinking about it, am I not super dad? Other times that makes me even more insecure, but she was right. 
Whenever I was around people, I would ask to hold Maddox. He became my security blanket. Rather than people asking me questions about my life, they would talk to the baby or ask me questions about Maddox. Maddox also became my excuse for leaving these social gatherings early. Oh, sorry. Baby is clearly tired, hungry, gonna lose it if we don't get right out of here. And he rallied, I was talking about myself. I was the one who was tired, hungry, gonna lose it if we don't get right out of there. Now these days, I, I don't have any babies to carry around, but you wanna know what's become my security blanket. I mean, you probably guessed it with the series that we're in, but my phone. I mean, any time that I feel insecure, I know I've got this device in my pocket that can protect me from people. It doesn't stare at me awkwardly or ask me questions. I can have one-way conversations with Facebook or Instagram. I can read stories on ESPN, Us Weekly stories about Beyonce and Jay-Z. I could even take those BuzzFeed quizzes about which Saved by the Bell character my personality most aligns with. I mean, I just, there are plenty of options to help me escape feelings of insecurity. And maybe you use your phone that way, maybe you don't. But I think we'd all agree that our phones provide an endless resource of entertainment, connection, and escape. I mean, think how much this has changed us just in the last few decades. For, for sake of comparison, let's go back to 1991, when Bob Merritt first arrived on the scene as the senior pastor of First Baptist Church in White Bear Lake, and of course now we've become Eagle Brook Church. But just for comparison, this is Bob in 1991, looks great, pretty much the same, a little more hair, uh, fantastic. Just for comparison, this is me in 1991. <laughs> so, you know, he could be my dad or grandpa or whatever. But um, in 1991, you know, for, for Bob to get the news, he had to have a newspaper delivered to his doorstep. And I've heard rumors that people still do this. I, I can't believe that. That's, but to watch the news, just kidding, I love newspapers, to watch the news... He had to sit down right at 5, 5.36 p.m. whenever the nightly news came on and watch it. If he missed it, think about this in 1901, you just missed it. There was no DVR or the internet. To talk to someone on the phone, he had to pick up one of these. Do you guys remember these things? If someone called his home, if he wasn't there to answer it, he didn't talk to them. He may not have even known that they called. If he wanted to hear what someone thought about his message, or maybe the church service. He had to have an actual conversation with someone or, or wait to receive one of these in the mail a few days later, an actual letter. To listen to messages from other pastors, something we do all the time, maybe you do that too. He had to use a tape player. I barely even know what this is. Do you guys know what this is? But it's a tape player. To, to study biblical commentaries, to read people's thoughts on the scripture passages that we teach through. He would have to read through stacks of books like these and keep them on his bookshelf to watch movies. He had to be there on time in the movie theater or he had to rent a VHS tape from a, from a store like Blockbuster or Hollywood Video, if you know what those are. And, and back then, in 1991, you know, really the only people who had computers were businesses, corporations, governments, maybe even hobbyists. The personal computer was just being introduced to the world in 1991, and I can guarantee he didn't have one then because I'm 99% certain he doesn't have one at home even now. And connecting, 
Connecting to the internet, too, was just becoming a thing. You know, all of these things, though. Think about this. Over these last 27 years, all of these things, the news, messages, church services, phone calls, uh, biblical commentary, stacks and stacks of books, any movie we could possibly want to see, the power of a personal computer, Opinions about all things, everything, messages of approval or disapproval, they now live in this tiny device. The world is vastly different than 1991. You know that. 95% of Americans now own a cell phone, and with these cell phones, the world is at our fingertips. We are more informed and connected than ever before in history. We can FaceTime with someone in India. We could see who's standing on our doorstep right now. We could change our thermostat. We could buy anything we want from Amazon, have it delivered by the time we get home from church. We could invest in stocks and we could tell the world what we are doing right now at this very moment, all at the same time, within a matter of seconds. It is incredible what our phones are capable of. We are truly living through a digital technological revolution. And while I don't have a crystal ball, my guess is that that phones, along with the internet, are here to stay. Therefore, we must learn to manage them well. That means we embrace their benefits And there are so many benefits about living through the technological revolution that we are living through, but we also must question how they're affecting our relationship with God, the creator of all created things, and how they're affecting our greater well-being. Although smartphones haven't been around all that long, the negative effects are really starting to add up. Teenagers whom technology expert Gene Twinge refers to as the I generation because, of course, they're the highest percentage users of phones. She said that teenagers are on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades. Suicide rates are up 25% this decade. Depression is up 33%. According to Twinge, much of this mental health deterioration is due to our phone use. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. Of course, phones in and of themselves don't cause mental health issues. There's something deeper going on that we must address. So here's what I hope we understand today. Even before smartphones, human beings have struggled with feelings of insecurity, but now with these phones in our pockets, I think a lot of us find ourselves more insecure than we've ever been. That's because they're perpetuating a cycle of seeking comfort and security from something else. And in this case, a phone rather than God. And the security we seek from our phones is actually causing us to feel more insecure. So with the time we have left, I wanna give you two ways that our phones cause insecurity and then offer some solutions at the end. But the first way is this, we compare and never measure up. You know, phones are not. Most of us struggle with comparing ourselves to others and feeling like we don't quite measure up. 
Even Paul, one of the heroes of our faith, the writer of a lot of our New Testament, talks about this struggle with comparison. And of course, he didn't have smartphone, Facebook, Instagram, but he's even wrestling with this comparison 2,000 years ago. He says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with people who commend themselves, but they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. And then he says, how ignorant. Here's what's happening. See, leaders in the Corinthian churches were wondering if they were good enough based on how they stacked up with each other. And Paul says that comparison is ignorant. Now, why would he say that? Because he knows that our value is not determined by how we measure up to others, and the problem is now in, in our generation that our phones are making this struggle with comparison even more difficult. I mean, think about the last time you were on your phone, which might be right now, okay? I can see you if you're on your phone. For those who are watching online, it's okay for you. But the last time you were on your phone, what were you more than likely doing? I mean, more than likely, you were scrolling through one of your social media profiles. According to a study done in 2017, 80% of Americans have some sort of social media presence, so I know I'm hitting a majority of people here. But while you were scrolling through your social media, what, what do you normally see? I mean, mostly perfection, right? It's the adorable filtered picture of three girls in ponytails, white dresses, and cowboy boots, no stains to be found. It's the kid who's playing Mozart at 11 winning spelling bees, crushing home runs, pitching no-hitters. It's the couple who's kissing on the sandy beaches of Hawaii, describing their blissful 20 years of marriage. It's the selfie of the guy at the gym with the eight-pack, the perfectly sculpted pecs and biceps, hashtag blessed, <laughs> hashtag God's temple, you know. Maybe it's another creative video revealing the gender of a baby who for sure isn't ever going to cry, fuss, or make a messy. And while we are seeing those pictures and videos of perfection, I mean, what's happening with you? Well, maybe your own kids haven't taken a bath in weeks. Maybe your daughter was bathing in the hand sanitizer out in the lobby of church, just like Dave and Rachel Holvig's daughter was doing just a couple weeks ago. Now, <laughs> they've got four kids, so they were actually pumped about this. They didn't need to give her a bath for like another week. They were really happy with that. <laughs> but while that guy's posting selfies at the gym, you know, you're currently cramming that hostess cake down your throat. While that couple's describing their blissful 20 years of marriage in the Hawaiian sunset. I mean, maybe your own marriage hasn't been exactly good for weeks months or even years. I mean, maybe you aren't even dating anyone, let alone married, let alone able to go to Hawaii. Or maybe your reality isn't gender reveal parties. Maybe it's years of struggle and infertility with another person asking, when are you gonna start trying? You know, we're always comparing, it seems like, never measuring up when we do. And when we don't measure up, we feel insecure. I've been married to my wife, Emily, for almost 10 years and in a relationship for 12, so I have never been a part of the online dating scene. 
But I know for those of you who are single, this is an area that causes a lot of insecurity because of the constant comparison. So I chatted with a few friends who are in this world and Angie, 32 year old female said this, she said, with these dating apps, there are always more options so you're always being compared at face value, literally, she said, and pun intended. Plus, most people are dating multiple people at the same time and you're left feeling like you don't measure up. Can anyone relate to that feeling? I mean, she said there's also a fear of ghosting where you have a connection with someone online, but suddenly they, they cut off all communication and disappear because you are no longer good enough. They've ghosted. Of course, not all online dating is bad. My sister married someone she met online, a wonderful, godly man who loves her and the two kids they've had together. But what we're talking about is how our phones can amplify our insecurities. Apps like Tinder and Bumble are certainly not making us feel more secure about ourselves. While everyone else seems to be matching up, you're just getting left behind. But remember, Paul says it's ignorant to compare yourself to others. In other translations, the word ignorant gets translated as not wise or foolish. And why such harsh language? Why was he so intense about this idea? Because here's the truth. Comparing your life with someone else will steal your joy. It will kill contentment and cause deep insecurity, especially when you're comparing your behind the scenes with someone else's highlight reel on social media. So the question is, are we supposed to just ditch our phones, social media, online dating forever? I mean, maybe or maybe not. Because again, phones are just a tool. What we must go after is the root, and at the root is the need to find our security from the right source, phones or not. And for Paul, he didn't struggle with comparing himself to others because he knew that his value and identity and worth was in Christ. Throughout scripture, Paul writes that he has been chosen by God redeemed and forgiven, complete in Christ and God's masterpiece. Paul didn't struggle with comparing himself to others because the thing that mattered most was what God said about him. That's real security. And what's true of Paul is also true of those who put their faith in Christ. When you embrace the truth that you have been chosen by God, redeemed and forgiven, complete in Christ, God's masterpiece, when you embrace that your true measure of worth comes from who God says you are, you won't feel the need to compare yourself to others. Second, final way that our phones cause insecurity, we seek approval from others. I think most of us tend to do more than just compare. We actually wanna be noticed and approved I think a lot of us would find it quite difficult to live like Paul who wrote this. He said, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. And then another place he says, the only approval, I mean, think about that, the only approval that counts is the Lord's approval. And I would say that's easier said than done. From the time we were little kids, we wanted to be approved by those in our lives. I mean, mom, did you see that? 
Dad, how about that catch? And just because we get older doesn't necessarily mean our need for other people's approval uh, necessarily goes away. It's kind of become an ongoing joke in our house. But after I'm done getting ready for the day and I'll put on my clothes, I'll head downstairs and I'll kind of stand and pose the bottom of the stairs until either my wife, Emily, or my two kids who are six and three years old notice me and say something about how good I look. And admittedly, it doesn't happen all that often, so I have to... <laughs> I have to prompt them and I have to say, you know, it's just the clothes just found themselves. It all came together. I'm not sure. It's just this easy until finally one of them will say, Dad, you look good. Okay, move on. <laughs> After I'm done speaking, the very first text that I will wait to receive and hope to get is the one from my wife, Emily. I just, just desire her approval. And if I'm being really honest, I want the approval of all of you too. I know that's not possible, but that's, I think, at the core of what I wrestle with. And with our phones, it's really never been easier to see if others approve of you or not with the click of a like, a tweet, a text, or an email. We can approve or disapprove of each other in seconds without ha actually having a face-to-face -face conversation. You know, social media platforms have admitted they created those like and heart buttons to actually be addictive. I found this quote really fascinating from professor and author Adam Alter. He said, the minute you take a drug, drink alcohol, smoke a cigarette, when you get a like on social media, all of those experiences produce dopamine, which is a chemical associated with pleasure. When someone likes any content that you share, it's a little bit like taking a drug. As far as your brain is concerned, it's a very similar experience. That's fascinating, isn't it? The reason that so many of us are addicted to our phones is because we are actually addicted to other people's approval. In the book, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You, a book this series was inspired by, the author shares the story of Asina O'Neill, a 19-year-old Australian model who had almost 1 million social media followers. Now, once poised, to make a career, a lucrative one at that, from online endorsement deals, she suddenly deleted everything she had in 2015. Now, why would she do that? Because she had come to see that the things she thought were going to provide her security were actually hollow, fake, and self-centered. This is what she said. She said, I simply no longer want to compare my life with anyone else's edited highlights. I wanna put all those hours I looked into a screen into my real life goals, personal relationships and aspirations. Basically, my self-worth relied on social approval. See, the popularity made her feel trapped in this cycle that left her feeling more empty, lonely, hateful, jealous, and insecure. And I'd say nothing traps people in unhealthy social media and phone use like the need for other people's approval. Now, maybe that's an extreme example. I mean, which one of us actually has one million social media followers? Probably no one, but that's not the point. The point is our phones can amplify our insecurities. When we compare, we never measure up and, and we tend to seek the approval from others. So for someone here, maybe the comparison game has just destroyed your sense of confidence and worth. For another person, maybe you seek the approval of others because you haven't fully embraced God's approval of you. 
Maybe it's because you're always connected. Maybe it's because those online dating sites have beaten you up a little bit. Maybe the likes, the, the comments, the posts, the pictures, maybe they affect you more than you realize, no matter what it is. With these phones being so prevalent in our lives, we must all pause and ask the question, how can I reduce the insecurity that my phone may be causing? So while by no means an exhaustive list, I wanna just offer some solutions as we finish things up that might just help. The first is pay attention to the poll. And here's what I mean. According to one study, the average person checks their phone every 4.3 minutes. While writing and preparing this message, I tried to pay attention to how often my phone just pulled me away from what I was trying to do. And it's crazy. So here are some ways that you can reduce the pull of your phone. The first is turn off push notifications. If you don't know what I'm talking about, ask someone. But you, know, you don't need to be alerted every time you get a text a comment or an email, you can actually turn those off so you can go to your phone when you're ready to check those. Second is set time constraints. This is a really important one at our home. We really try often once dinner hits to put our phones on the counter and not check it again until after our kids go to bed. And then for me personally, I try to get up in the morning and spend time with God before I ever reach for my phone. Apple has recently announced they're gonna be rolling out more extensive controls because they know that phone use has become a problem. That's good news. Third, maybe make a change. Our campus pastor at White Bear Lake got rid of his smartphone and he went back to an old flip phone and he is still surviving. It's amazing. <laughs> and I don't know if that's the answer. Maybe you need to get rid of some apps. Maybe you need to just get rid of social media, but make a change. The world will go on without you. And finally, I'm excited to tell you about the National Night Off, Wednesday, July 18th. We're gonna encourage everyone at Eagle Brook Church to practice putting your phones away for a night and engage with the people or just with God on your own without your phone around. You're gonna take a night off from your phones and we're all gonna do it together. We can do it. It's revolutionary, I know. You'll hear more about that next week, okay? Second way to reduce the insecurity that your phone might be causing, aim to give God glory. And here's what I mean. No matter what you do, do it for God. Whether it's through a phone or not. And I hope ultimately this message lands with those who, who even don't have phones. No matter if you have a phone or not. No matter what you say, what you do, what you post, how you interact with others. Remember that God's glory and reputation is at stake. So ask yourself before you do anything. Will this increase the glory and reputation of God or myself? Because here's what happens. When you seek your own glory, and it's all about you and your reputation, you'll see yourself from a worldly perspective. And then you'll feel insecure. And then suddenly your whole life is about trying to please others and just what's best for me. But the healthy way of approaching all things, including your phone, is to seek God's glory. Aim to give God glory. It's about his reputation. Then when you do, you'll see yourself from God's perspective. You'll feel secure in who God says that you are and you will be free to serve, to please Christ. This is a healthy cycle of aiming to give God glory. This is an unhealthy cycle of making it all about yourself. 
See, when you aim to give God glory, you will live securely in who God says you are. Remember, you are chosen. You are approved. You are loved. You are adopted as God's own. So make it all about God. The final way to reduce the insecurity that your phone may be causing is to gather and worship together. You know, perhaps the key in the generation that we're living through, perhaps the ultimate key is to not let our phones deter us from real physical community with one another. Why believe wholeheartedly in online church for those who live far away, for those who wanna stay connected, for those who are just checking church out, which by the way, in my role here at Eagleburg Church, part of my job is to oversee online church. I wish you could read the stories that I get to read every week of people who are finding faith, who are connecting to God for the very first time. In fact, in this last year, we saw 172 people make a first-time decision to follow Jesus just through online church. I believe in online church. It is here to stay. But see, I also believe that physically gathering together in the local church is perhaps one of the ways that we can overcome our insecurity. In fact, maybe this is a great reason why church attendance matters in the digital age. It forces us to withdraw from our online worlds to gather as a church. And when we gather, we gather to be seen, to be in relationship with each other and to sing in worship, which is perhaps the most insecure thing we do in our entire week. But while together, we can't hide behind our phones and our online worlds. Instead, we turn towards each other. Maybe people you don't even know. And we turn towards God, the one who provides our ultimate security. Gathering in corporate worship is maybe one of the best ways that we can overcome our insecurities. Now, there's a lot of great churches out there. But I can only speak for Eagle Brook at Eagle Brook Church. We are so far from perfect. But that's the beauty. We want you to come as you are because we're no better than you. We don't want you to compare your spiritual journey with anyone else's. We simply want to let God say to you that you are chosen, that you are approved. You are loved. You are adopted as God's own. You are redeemed and forgiven. You are complete in Christ. You are God's masterpiece. That's the security we all need, and that's the security that you can have with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so to close things up, across all seven of our campuses and even online, for those who are checking things out or with us online, we are gonna sing this final song together. And we are gonna declare this truth that who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I'm a child of God. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. Let that be all the security that you need. Across all of our campuses, let's stand and sing this final song together.
together. God, it is so good to be in your presence this morning. What an awesome opportunity it is for us to, to gather together, to worship you, to be challenged by your word. And God, the truth is every one of us struggles with our identity, God. We all do. We all compare ourselves to one another. We we try to find our identity and our value through our job and our talents and our possessions. We all struggle with that, God. But thank you that in your word, you remind us that we are dearly loved children of the Most High God. Lord, you created each one of us uniquely, and you have an amazing purpose and plan for us if we will trust you. And so God, thanks for who you've created us to be and who you've called us to be. Give us the faith to find our identity in you because that is eternal. So God, we love you so much. We just love being in your presence and giving you the glory you so deserve. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks everyone for coming this morning. You're dismissed. If you need prayer for any reason, feel free to come on down. We'd love to pray with you. Thanks. Thanks.